We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for Subscription Stories, True Tales from the Trenches. Nearly every organization can benefit from joining the membership economy, and most industries have great examples of subscription-based organizations. One of the slowest movers, though, has been the healthcare industry, and for good reason. There's so much complexity to delivering health outcomes, as well as great risk. That's why I'm so excited about this episode of Subscription Stories. Today's guest, Matthew Menjerink, is the Chief Technology Officer at 30 Madison. The company describes itself as the human-first health company, bringing specialized care and treatment to everyone. One by one, they are tackling some of the most challenging chronic health issues, like allergies, migraines, and hair loss, through forever transactions with the people they serve. By using a combination of digital and real-world services, they're hoping to democratize healthcare. In this conversation, Matthew and I talk about 30 Madison's uniquely scalable approach to healthcare, the challenges of balancing personalization with systems and protocols, and what subscriptions might mean for the future of medicine. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the mission of 30 Madison. Can you share a little bit about how 30 Madison came to be and what you're trying to accomplish for your members? Absolutely. Around 60% of all Americans have a chronic condition, which these are affecting then, you know, tens of millions of Americans on a daily basis. And of the $2.2 trillion that the U.S. spends healthcare every year, 75% of that is spent on chronic conditions. So this is an, an enormous opportunity. And if you look of those, the 60%, 40% have two or more chronic conditions. What are chronic conditions? Well, well it might be a- somebody who's a migraine sufferer, somebody who might have hair loss, gastrointestinal. There are Crohn's disease, cardiovascular, uh, musculoskeletal conditions where people injure a joint and for the rest of their lives suffer immobility. The list goes on and on. There's over 350 chronic conditions that are indexed, and, and then there's variations within each wow. one of those. I would guess most of the people listening, many of them might have one or, or have a loved one who has one of those chronic conditions. Absolutely, they do. I mean, the, the probabilities are overwhelming for it. Yeah. So what is 30 Madison doing with regard to those chronic conditions that seem to affect so many people? So we envision a future where every American who copes with a chronic condition, eventually everyone in the world, can access highly affordable, high quality care based in science that can improve their lives. And it's what kind of drives us to expand our specialty level care to the people who need it. Yeah, it's really interesting to me as somebody that looks at subscription models and thinks about missions and, you know, what I call a forever promise that organizations make to their customers, to their members or their subscribers. When it comes to forever promises that an organization can make, promise of better health, a promise of access to health is really one of the most meaningful and also, in, in almost all cases, is an ongoing promise. It really is. And one of the challenges of the promise is the commitment to stay current to the science 
and the ever-changing backdrop of health. As you think about the changes in medicine and the advancement, as we start to accelerate those, like technology has accelerated over the last 10 years, we have every expectation that we will have a year-by-year iteration of, of those promises. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about. One of the things that I have noticed with with industries that are being reinvented, and I think healthcare is a really good example of this, is you know, traditional healthcare organizations probably would say they have the same mission that 30 Madison has, which is, you know, to provide access, you know, to ongoing treatment and healthcare to give people the best quality of life. But somewhere along the way, they stopped innovating or they slowed down on their innovation or they moved, you know, as I believe into to a model where they're more focused on fixing things that are broken than they are about continually improving your quality of life. And the number of, you know, I always think about it as the ha- number of happy minutes that that a person can enjoy in their life. And I, and I appreciate what you said about, you know, this continuous improvement in the way you're delivering. And also the point that you made, which, which I want to kind of dig into a little bit about regulatory issues. I mean, until recently, some of the things, some of the best ways of helping people enjoy greater health weren't available two years ago. So you guys are really in kind of the wild west trying to figure this out. What's allowed? What's the best process? There there aren't any playbooks to follow. Yeah. If we look at the, the prescriptive process of medicine, you know, there's a great history there. There's great momentum. But if we talk about access to that care, If we talk about specialized level telemedicine, personalized treatment, and the ongoing management, that's where a different approach has this this greenfield opportunity. So you look at a hospital or a general practitioner's office, any person walks in with any condition, there's the diagnostic process, there's the time it takes to schedule, to wait, to travel. And then from there, you get an advancement or special treatment by getting referred to a specialist. You're constrained by the benefits management and insurance of your company oftentimes. And so as a process, this is very drawn out. And when you get into one of these offices, they're trying to churn through as fast as they can to take care of people, but their context, the medical records that they're able to look at are fairly limited in some cases. And the communication channel isn't something where you can just take a record with you as you go. So the opportunity we have now as the government has opened this up, it allows people to schedule things asynchronously. It allows us to take the medical record to a specialist without all of these different layers. And then the personalization is much easier because as we have events that are triggering, we're using technology on our side to determine when should somebody see a specialist or somebody should reach out. A perfect example is somebody with a migraine. We have a condition tracker which allows our patients to say, hey, I've, I've had a migraine today. Here's how long it lasted. Here was a level of intensity. And that data then feeds as a trigger or a prompt to our models that allow us to say how severe and should we reach out? Can we determine on behalf of the patient that it's time to change medicines? In a traditional context, it's all push. It's the patient reaching out when they think they've gone too far, when the pain is too high. We're turning it around now, and it is now doctors reaching out. It's a doctor scheduling with you on your time instead of vice versa. And that is, that is just, I think, a, a very different model than uh, what we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's really interesting. So if, if I'm a, a patient of Cove or member of Cove for, for migraines, I come in, I have access to an app. I have access also to real doctors. So it's sort of a, a blended model. That's absolutely correct. It's the benefit. It's the... The combination of digital 
therapeutic and human. And so it's the best of both worlds instead of the worst. The scale, the things that make things more efficient is the technology. The things that allow us to catch something that a human might miss. I mean, humans are, are, are a little sloppy from time to time with the best of intentions. We know that accidents happen. But analytical contexts, computers aren't flawless because they're not flawless by design. But operationally, they don't miss things. And so if you are looking at medication interaction, if you're looking at uh, keywords like, say, pregnancy, there are certain migraine medication that you cannot use while pregnant. You don't want to miss that word. And having a computer there to augment, to look at the context of the patient and summarize that concisely, then turns into the judgment of a human that's better informed and again, is proactively reaching out to the patient to say, now might be a time to change medicine or the medicine you have has inter negative interactions with other medicines or other conditions you're suffering. That to me is the perfect blend of, of tech and people. Yeah. Now you're the chief technologist at 30 Madison. So your, your job is to help figure out what kinds of technology can be used to provide that kind of um, ongoing monitoring, recommendation and care in conjunction with medical professionals. You haven't always worked in that space. You've always been a technologist and you've worked at some True. of the, the most innovative technology companies in the world. How is it different working in, in healthcare, working hand in hand with physicians and, and medical professionals? If there's a commonality to the places I've worked, it has been this tech-centric company, but also very complex ecosystems. And generally they're multi-party. So for example, at YouTube, we'd have creators, we have viewers, we have the corporations, the advertisers, the, the agencies, the labels, things along those lines. And there's this really beautiful mix and, and you work to reduce that complexity. If we think about Uber, transportation, cars, you know, uh, different compliance of different cities, airports, there's complexity there. In each of those scenarios, there's a very general experience. And convenience is on the line. I mean, I would argue that Uber, you have safety, but if you can't play your playlist for music at YouTube, that's, it's disappointing for sure. <laughs> but it's not but life it, and death. <laughs> it's not life and death. So a 30 Madison raises the stakes completely. And the complexity can be on a city level. On a city level, you can get into different compliance aspects of, of medicine different age groups, different medical programs, the insured, the uninsured, the pharmacy benefits management versus the insurer and who's covering what and how much. The complexity is overwhelming. I've never met a person who I've said, hey, is health insurance easy for you? And have them go, oh, yes, that's a piece of cake and I love it. And so you have the, the difficulty there. You have the ability to you know, have physicians in their licensing and the constraints there. There's HIPAA compliance that you have to deal with. So it is an overwhelmingly large amount of details. And when you want to just do something easily, may or may not, is a much more complex question within 30 Madison. So it is beyond just serving the patient directly. So what we try to do in the, in the excitement of this from a technical perspective is to create the safe rails so that an engineer and a product person, when they're thinking about delivering the best, most bespoke care and treatment without advertisement, without distraction, just that, that loving relationship between the clinician and the patient, doing so in a way that we can think generally and that the rest of the system takes care of the compliant constraints, that the right questions are asked, that if it's synchronous care, that that is a format that's used, but that the underlying principles of science, of health, and the individual background is immediately in that, in that moment. 
And that is tremendously exciting. That just should be on anything that I have seen before uh, trying to do at scale uh, with hundreds of millions of people as an opportunity. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. I love that you're saying it's exciting. It seems daunting to me to make all of those things work together. And I know from a tech perspective, you're using machine learning and CBT and digital content feedback loops. Is it the same tools that you've used in other roles or applied differently and with more constraints and more challenges? Or are there new new tools, new approaches that you need to use in this context of, of healthcare? The, the underlying algorithms, so if you take machine learning, there are platforms that deliver the, the framework and we can borrow against those, those frameworks. But I'm sure you've heard that machine learning is racist and machine learning is aggressive, that these are different things that, that are heard. And I don't know that we should ascribe those types of terms to computers, but what is implicit is that machine learning extraordinarily quickly targets metrics and deliver something very efficiently faster than people. And we will take what we perceive as an aggressive path towards it. And if there's any bias in a system, machine learning mines that bias and expands it very quickly. And again, if there's a racist, r- racial inequality or racist perspective that is in the designer that has a bias in a system, like benefits a wealthy person versus an unwealthy, and you could get into inner city and suburban disparity those factors come into play extraordinarily quickly and create disparity. Even if it creates success for a company, it creates disparity in the offering for the customer, and in our case, the patient. So the ethics of machine learning, the DEI constraints of machine learning have a priority and importance here that I haven't seen elsewhere, that it lives day-to-day within each group ensuring that we're taking into consideration our targets so that our value of equity for all or health care for all is maintained in every single nuance. And algorithms, again, it's a tough place to do it because we don't talk enough about the ethics of delivery of a subscription, ethics of the value of the services being delivered. Uh, So yes, amongst the level of daunting is adding one more thing to our plate, which is doing it not just well, but doing it the right way. Yeah. So how do you do that? You, you talk about this concept of democratizing healthcare, And what does that mean? So again, think about Cove and migraines. You know, we have tens of thousands of migraine uh, patients. So it's one of the largest migraine clinics in the United States. And the democratization comes from an understanding and an applicability that's you know, on equal footing so that everyone has access to the same care on their terms. Uh, and then there are some of the, the constraints of reality of, of price, which is, you know, can people afford any care whatsoever? And some of those will be in front of us to address, again, working with the governments, working with the insurers and the like. What might it cost someone who's using Cove for migraines? And, and I'm sure it varies. What could they expect to pay? Yeah, it can be from twenties of dollars to hundreds of dollars and you know the degree to which they have high acuity and are dealing with the more expensive medications. In some cases, that's where insurance kicks in. There's variability of costs on a month-to-month basis for people, depending on it. I believe we're at 20 different medicines that we prescribe for migraines. However, there are some things that we can do, like some migraine sufferers aren't aware of how to help themselves. Even with knowledge, you can reduce the impact for people who can't pay at all. So understanding which essential oils have positive benefit for people, 
how to use cold and hot compressions, how to use the dark as a tool and uh, face masks. So there is also through information an ability to help people to get through these things, even if they can't afford a medicine at all. So a subscriber, a member of Cove would pay a regular fee to you, but then they might also need prescriptions or other treatments or even recommendations of things off the shelf or that they can do at home that might not add a cost. So there's a range of, of costs incurred. It's very complicated because also of the insurance and you don't always know what kind of coverage an individual an individual has, but is that correct? That is, except for one small point, which is we're not charging for information to help people when you know giving them tips and tricks for how to deal with these things without medication. So today, currently, the, the subscription services are uh, surrounded with, with the medicine and a delivery schedule and the like. Uh, so that's ensuring that people have the medicine at home anytime they have an event. And when you're talking about episodic things, you're talking about variable rate subscriptions because you can't say that somebody who suffers migraine is going to have X migraines and need X pills a year. <laughs> migraines, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Right, right. If only it were so clear as that. Instead, what you have to look at is making sure that they always have available a fresh pill in the event of. And so there's a complexity again to our, our subscriptions, very different from every other month delivering a roll of toilet paper. These are more complex. So I, I should have asked this question early on, but I got excited about some of the things you were talking about. But I would love it if you, we could take a step back. If you could walk us through an experience of a new subscriber, you can whichever one of the brands that you, that you prefer, but sort of who this person is, what they do first, how they're onboarded, and then what the ongoing relationship is like or the ongoing experience is like once they're they're a member or or a subscriber. Absolutely. So again, migraines is a good one. We're on that topic. We'll, we'll stick with it. So the very first thing somebody does is they come to, to Cove and they complete an online consultation and they help their doctor collect their medical and migraine history. What is the types of severities? Is there any triggering conditions that they're aware of? Is there any other medicine that they're taking or other conditions they might be suffering? The next part is they get the prescription and they get it approved and we begin to deliver the patient's treatment directly to the front door on a schedule. And again, the preventative and acute treatments are two different things. So some people take pills with regularity to subside, to subdue them, and others will take a combination of that plus a acute moment in which the migraine hits and you take a pill that helps you to reduce the pain. And you know these are oftentimes, if you know anybody who suffered them, completely out of the bill blue and totally debilitating. And the third step, and I think this is a really critical one, which goes beyond the pill, is that there are regular check-ins through asynchronous messages. And there are these updates, which is the self-guided feedback loop saying, here's when I've suffered it. And uh, we call it a condition tracker. And then Cove can reach its patients more often without the constraints of sort of set appointments or location, the cost of travel, and the time that somebody would need to, to visit the doctor in person. So it's those three things. It's the sign up the consultancy, the prescriptive journey, and then the ongoing proactive treatment. And all of that is, and then do they pay a monthly fee for the subscription or is it like there's an onboarding fee and then the subscription is, is episodic? What's included, you know, many of the people listening are think about pricing, product packaging. Yes. And it, I think it's interesting to, to consider what's in, what's out when, as you've pointed out, your members, your patients have such widely diverging situations. Yes. So how do you think about that? 
So for example, there are, let's take Picnic. I'm a Picnic subscriber myself. I'm consistently, constantly sneezing and <laughs> and having the, the sinus drain and that, that fight. So I pay a subscription and every three months I get three bottles of nose sprays and a, a pocket of pills. Comes to me with a, an, a straight regularity. So I'm billed every three months for that. And, and that's the prescription service. Very similar with uh, Keeps. With Keeps, though, the more that you buy in a, a This is one package, for hair loss. Yeah. Yes. Uh, sorry. Thank you very much. There's bigger discounts, you know, depending on the types of packages. And, you know, we try to discount more if you're taking a an oral plus shampoo, things along those lines. So economies of scale, we try to pass on to our, yeah. our customers. When it comes to something like migraines, that is a, you're paying for the, the prescription and there's a subscription for the cost for the things you're taking with regularity. And then there's variable additional costs, which are for the, the ones that are for an episode. Mm -hmm. What we're not doing as of yet, uh, though we've talked about it and are exploring it, is a more prime-like model, which says, hey, you pay X dollars and that's all you can eat pill processing or some such like that. <laughs> that, that yeah. is something that we're looking at as we scale. Yeah. There's some definitely, you know, when, when you're talking and I'm thinking about models in, in my own head, you know, there's a model that says, you know, these things are included. And if you want more, if you need more, because everybody's needs are different, you pay for add-ons, which provides great, great flexibility, but it also requires a lot of like thinking and understanding what, what the pricing model is and what's right for me. There's another model, which is you know, the all you can eat model, which you mentioned. And then there's another model, which is like, I think of it as, as the Costco model, which is you pay a fee for access to everything and then you buy what, what you want. And so yep. it's interesting to kind of see where you've landed and what you're thinking about. And also thinking about, you know, all of these different conditions. Well, as you said, they have many attributes in common. Lots of people suffer from them. They are ongoing. They are often, sadly, forever. But they're different. Migraines are episodic. Hair loss is, is more constant. Allergies are probably somewhere in the middle. A subscription is a, a, a tool. But for example, we're opening up our first surgical center this year to do hair transplants. And so as we get higher and higher acuity, as we get more synchronous care, some of these things will, will go outside of a subscription model. Yeah. And our intent across the board is to try to create better and better economics for people. And you know, there's a, a beautiful phrase, which is do well by doing good. We have every conviction, if we can lower the cost of healthcare as much as we can within the background of insurance and PBMs and market, we're doing the right thing. And that we need to make enough money, but we don't have to make too much money on a per patient basis. Solving a problem like this and making it feel simple and straightforward to the consumer requires a lot of complexity on the back end. That's what I, that's what I'm hearing is making it look easy. You know, yes. there's a lot going on with, I imagine with, with certainly with other teams as well, but with your team on the technology side, the product pricing, packaging teams, thinking about that, thinking about care treatment, you know, uh, high touch ethics, you know, if, if somebody stops paying for their streaming services, you don't necessarily have an ethical responsibility to let them, you know, continue to to watch the show that they love, although they may feel that way. Whereas, you know, if, if somebody's counting on you for their for their health or or their life, you know, you really have a different set of of ongoing obligations. So spot on. And the, the magic occurs when you have transparency, when you have this equitability and you have a desire to to just help people. 
you brought up a lot of really interesting and I think important points that I want to tease out. One of them, you know, this this importance of focus and not being distracted by every short-term opportunity, I think is really important in the world of subscriptions. Because what you're always, I believe, what you're always trying to solve for is the outcome. You know, you have an ongoing problem that you want me to solve or an ongoing goal you want me to help you achieve. And that's how I optimize. I'm going to layer in more benefits, like you said, with the hair care, you know, now we have, you know, physical surge centers for that to increase the likelihood of you achieving that goal of, you know, keeping or maintaining a, a head of, of hair, but not being distracted by, say, hair bows or, <laughs> you know, hairbrushes or I don't know what, but things that are related and that person might want to buy, but does not contribute to the likelihood of them achieving their outcome. And I think, you know, I, I work, you know, one of my very first clients was Netflix. And I remember how as they were growing, focused on, you know, professionally created video content delivered with cost certainty uh, in the most efficient way possible, all these other companies were coming and saying, why don't you sell DVDs? Why don't you sell movie theater tickets? Why don't you have ads in the middle? And they were like, no, the only thing we do is this and we do it really well. And someday that may change. And, you know, they just announced they're doing video games, you know, 20 something years in. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate your focus with that layer of obligation. I mean, it's like, the mission, we need to stay focused from a business perspective, but also because this is serious business. Our promise is we're improving your health. We're we're helping you solve an ongoing problem that relates to your body. And that is, you know, the, the ethical obligations are high. And I'm on a roll here, but one, <laughs> one, one other thing that I, you know, you, you said a lot of really important things. You really got me, got me thinking. Beautiful. Um, um, By the way, we, we refer to it as bubblegum revenue. Bubblegum is like you can make profits on bubblegum at checkout. It's usually there at the stand at your Walgreens or CVS. Yeah. You uh, want fries the core, with that? <laughs> yeah. The, the core of the patient promise is that Rx and OTC experience. And as we move to commerce Rx offering. Rx being your prescription, sorry, prescription OTC being over the, the over the counter health remedies, not bubblegum. That's correct. But yeah. And in that commerce, and some of that you know, approach is commerce. And again, if you talk about something like essential oil, it could be something that somebody could conflate with other remedies that people don't consider to be too grounded in science. But in our case, we're looking at those and, and really scrutinizing to say, does this make sense? And it's remarkable to see something like peppermint oil relative to IBS and uh, how- I, IBS? Uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, okay. So, so that's around the gastrointestinal. Yeah, that can be a treatment that will subside some of the pains. And so when we do offer commerce things or like face masks for people who are migraine sufferers, it is within that context of making sure that, you know, though it's commerce, it's the commerce that does matter and that we have grounded scientific reason to believe that it's, it's worth offering to people. Yeah. One thing that's different from selling bubble gum at the checkout counter in the pharmacy, when you have a subscription is there's this ongoing relationship of trust. And if I tell you, you know, let me give you some bubble gum with that, does that diminish your ability to trust me and to relax and say anything that she tells me to buy or that she recommends to me is designed to help me solve this problem so I don't have to keep my consumer hat on. I can relax into this patient relationship or into this member relationship, which I think is really important in any ongoing business model that you have to earn that trust. And one of the ways you do it is by showing some restraint in what you sell. We came to the recognition that more and more our patients are trying to understand what else we offer because of the trust that we established, which is, hey, I also suffer. Do you offer this? In our, our current thinking, we will be centralizing access and exposure 
But the, the sacrosanct relationship of the clinician and the patient as they're going through the bespoke care for a condition, we want to be uninterrupted and not distracted. Uh, there are, are sites that I'm sure people know that they go to and look for medical information, and I, I don't want to denigrate them. But it's really difficult when you're fearing for your life or you have a deep condition and all you have around you is ads for things. It takes away from the conviction that what you're being taught is not a mechanism by which somebody's trying to lead you to a purchasing decision. And so we are absolutely going to honor that as we move forward to make sure that there's exposure to and an ability to easily find the services we offer. But we remind ourselves and constrain our, our own engineering and our product design by saying when you're in the condition and when you're in that, that journey of care, that's all that it's about. Yeah, it's the challenge or the, the question here is sort of two parts. One of them is on my journey, whether that's around hair loss or migraines or, or allergies or what have you, are you going to try to upsell me other things that are kind of related? Like, oh, you have allergies, you know, let's sell you handkerchiefs or let's sell you some special kind of, you know, snack that, you know, you might enjoy while you're sitting outside, not sneezing, you know, so it's sort of very tangentially related. And then there's a separate question about different treatments. So if I have migraines, I might also be suffering from hair loss. And since I already trust you, do you want to surface that fact, that option? Or are somebody going to say, what the heck, you know, I came for migraines and now you're trying to sell me, you know, hair loss treatment, you know, that doesn't match. So I imagine that that's something that you're kind of, you have the technology probably to, to know which people might be most likely to want that. But at the same time, you're treading very carefully to not confuse your patients or to feel like you're abusing their trust. That's spot on. The balance of design to allow for ease of awareness and exploration has to be juxtaposed with the exclusivity of concern in the treatment. And it's a stupidly difficult balance. And what we're asking constantly is, is this patient first? Is this access for all? Is this doing the right thing? And those questions then manifest this way, which is, does this, does this design help people with their conditions and help progress them because they have a need and we're the best to suit it or not? And if it's not, let's not push ourselves forward. We don't want to earn a bad dollar. Really fascinating. I could keep going for a long time with you, but I want to just wrap up with a few speed round questions. Are you up Certainly. for this? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Just first thing that comes in your mind. Don't overthink it. Here we go. First subscription you ever had. Netflix, the Favorite DVD version. The DVDs, I remember. Your favorite subscription right now, present company excluded. Amazon Prime. Most surprising medical thing that you've learned since joining 30 Madison. Was the peppermint oil is real. <laughs> I'm pulling my leg and it's like, no, there's tremendous science for that. <laughs> and one piece of advice for people developing digital healthcare subscriptions or ongoing digital healthcare programs. This is not a winner-take-all. It's a winner-take-some market. And serving the patient and progressing health for humans is more important than the egocentric self and the development of a business. Keep that patient in front of you first and always. And then trust if you do good, you will do well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Matthew. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your expertise with our audience on Subscription Stories. I was honored to be here. Thank you, Robbie, for reaching out. This has been a pleasure. 
That was Matthew Menjerink, the Chief Technology Officer at 30 Madison. For more about Matthew and about 30 Madison and their brands, including Keeps, Cove, Evens, and Picnic, go to 30madison.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Matthew, go to robbiekelmanbaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Matthew in this episode if you especially enjoyed it. We read all the reviews because we want your feedback. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.